Here is the okay, song good. Heaven Raining Bullets from the album Say Your Prayers.
And that was Heaven Raining Bullets from the album Say Your Prayers. So, Mike, this song is so tall. It's just, it's so perfect. Everything is so right with this song. I love it so hard. Thank you. I don't even know. It's like, seriously, everything is just right with this song. Everything. And thank you. Then one of the lyrics that just kills me, it's so good, is my faith is buried under you. And so where I want to get with a look into this song is this immediately seems like, and we already know you're going through a breakup. This seems like a breakup song. It sort of was actually. Uh, first of all, I I, I want to say thank you for your compliments on it. Um, I happen to be very proud of this song. Uh, I wrote the whole thing, and uh, for me, it was a since it became as popular as it did. This is another song that hit the the charts, uh, as I was mentioning, the college radio stations and the club rotation. Uh, uh, charts. So this was a really big deal for me. It was, uh, whereas the other song I wrote with Jeff, this one was all me. Um, so uh, again, I was very happy with that, but at the same time, it, it's initial, it's, uh, how would I say this? It's inception was really, uh, as you said, it sort of stemmed from the, the breakup of, uh, the girl I was with, you know, previous to that. And um, I had written it a few years earlier, uh, uh, around 2001, um, and I had I had the lyrics for it, and I was slowly putting the music to it. And then we recorded it for, uh, well, I guess that was a 2002 or three, uh, two probably two. No, maybe even, yeah, I don't, I don't even remember. I don't even remember. But the, yeah, it, it was a combination <laughs> of the whole world coming down upon you. Uh, your love has been torn from you, and it's just, it's like you're getting shot at. It really comes through. And the thing is, with the, how smooth this whole song is, I mean, it's, it's like butter. Theory. It's so good. And, uh, and so you can just get lost in this as a whole piece and not focus in on lyrics and just allow the melody of the vocals to do their magic. And then every once in a while, a punchline comes through a zinger, you know, and that like that line. But then when you sit down and you listen with an ear to the lyrics, and I always, I'm a, I love lyrics. I'm a, I'm all about lyrics. And a lot of times, a good lyric can carry a bad song. Mm. <laughs> and so when everything is right, like this song where I don't even need to listen to the lyrics and I get an effect from this song as a whole, but then pulling out the lyrics separately, this is just so potent. And there are so many amazing lines in this song that are I mean, you know, they, they're zingers. They just, they stick with you. No wonder this song did so well. It's my second favorite on this list. I'll let you know. And we haven't, Thank you. we haven't gotten to my favorite. And it's funny. I've spent some time with these songs. And it's funny to think 
of favorites because I'm one of those people when people ask me, what's your favorite song or what's your favorite movie? I can never give you a number one, but I can give you a list. (laughs) It's like, okay, here's a list of my favorites. And depending on my mood, they rotate, but the lists usually stay the same until something amazing comes in. This song's brilliant. I'm so glad that it had the success it did. It deserved it, and it deserved a lot more, and it deserves more. One of the things that makes it special, which I was not aware, that you really did put this whole song together. So this was a solo, like you constructed this whole thing. So that makes it even well, more potent. Not not to brag, but the majority of all the songs that have ever been written for Empire Hideous, um, as well as Spy Society, were all written by me. I'd probably say a good 95% of them. Um, It was only towards um, the last few years of Like when we did say your prayers, that's when I said to Jeff, I was like, Jeff, you and I have to start writing, you know, more together. Uh, In fact, him and I wrote, um, I did terror clone. Um, He did the baseline for that, which actually isn't much, but uh, him and I, we also wrote a couple songs together. Um, on victim destroys assailant um we did depart together which was on say your prayers so yeah i mean i tried to inspire him to write more music so that it would give me sort of more of a break whereas he was more of a guitar melody writer yeah i could take the parts that he would write and compose them with the lyrics verse chorus verse chorus bridge verse chorus verse chorus yeah. You know, stuff like that. Yeah. So I, I really tried to inspire him to write more. Jeff is his own worst critic. He, he, uh, he wrote something and then he deletes it. And I'm like, oh, no. don't do that. Let me be the judge. Of that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, God. So, yeah. <laughs> He's very critical with it, with his own music. And I can understand how that is. But at the same time, when I hear a good song, I, I can definitely say this is going to be good. So, um, yeah, so Heaven Raining Bullets was all me, um, as were many of the songs on, on, on Say Your Prayers. Uh, but uh, that's just how it's been, you know, for, well, for all me right. with Empire Hideous. With that, I have a question here. When you, when you say all me, though, and when you get down into the brass tacks of it, uh, where you're recording or you're practicing, how much input have you allowed other people besides Jeff to steer in a has this been an issue for you are you willing to say like the guitarist comes in and says well i think that this it would be a better riff let's try this or how how mutable are you mike when it comes to all this right well uh after when empire hideous split up in 98 and then i got the gig with uh the misfits so prior to that uh, everything was my way or the highway. Yes, for the most part. Um, I mean, it was my baby. It was my brainchild. So yeah. I decided, you know, this is going to be me. And I had built my own reputation for, you know, Mike Hideous was, uh, you know, the person that people wanted to interview because of the things that I was doing on stage, um, and and people knew me for it. You know, my performance art. At, you know, as I started getting more into performance art and, and showmanship on stage. Yes. Uh, so um, 
it was pretty, as I said, my way or the highway up until about 98. All right. So I do the misfits and then I come out of that and I do spy society. Now, when I started spy society, I had come up with several ideas, uh, that were, uh, that I had recorded onto a four track, uh, Tascam mini, mini studio. And, uh, then I approached my friend, Joe, my friend, Joe Pla, Joseph Pla. And, uh, he is a classically trained guitarist and he's, uh, very knowledgeable of the guitar. I mean, he could play it in his sleep. So I, I approached him and I said, listen, I, I want to do a project with you because he had a band that I was very much into called the Arado Mechanics. And I found them to be really, I found them to be a lot like Empire Hideous, uh, a cross between Empire Hideous and Christian Death. So, um, yeah, in fact, I loved his band. I still listen to his music to this day. So Joe comes in, he helps me organize the songs for Spy Society. Then... After Spy Society comes Empire Hideous again, all right, after 9-11. And um, I, having gotten Jeff back, I was eager to work with him because I was at a point, I was like, you know what? It might be advantageous for me to actually work with someone who knows how to, who knows their instrument better than I do. Because, I, I mean, I can play guitar, but not nearly as good as, as guitar players. So I play the basics and then I let them play the song for real, the melody yeah. for real. Cause I can't, I can't do it. I'm just not that talented. So uh, I guess the question was, where did I really break free of doing everything on my own? Probably. Well, or, for, say, you're, actually it is how open have you been and are you not? Yeah. That's what I wanted <laughs> I ne- to get. I at. never was. I never was. I, I, uh, if, uh, on the on the album only time will tell uh you had two songs that were co-written by somebody the one of them was uh, power of the empire which was also rewritten back in like 1988 maybe yeah and then there was another song called november which was a bass line written by my bass player uh and she she wasn't really into writing music herself um so i said give me the bass line i'll put a song together and from that bass line I created a song called November, which was kind of like a ballad. Anyhow, so there was that. But then again, after that, everything was mine. Uh, we released uh, Act Four. It's just a matter of time. Victim destroys assailant. Um, again, all songs written by me. Yeah. Um, Has part, this caused you problems with other of people? Course. That, now, see, of, of course. course, I know the answer to this because there's no way it didn't cause you problems. Well, yeah. Because, I mean, you got to remember, it's not like we had a record label or, that was supporting us. It's not like people recognized me as, oh, it's the Mike Hideous from Empire <laughs> that, that didn't happen until after the Misfits, really. Yes. Um, so, you know, you, you get a new musician, let's just say a new guitar player who comes into the band, hears the old recordings and says, well, I'm going to add this. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's already recorded. This is how it was recorded. And when we play it, this is how we play it. Because the people who are in the audience, the fans, they want to hear it the way it was recorded. So if you can't play it that way, don't think you're coming into this band to change things around. And I lost a lot of musicians for that because they all wanted to add their little, yes, you know, their, their characteristic 
whatever instrument it may have been. And I, I couldn't have that, not because I didn't want it, but because things were already established. Yes. And I used to constantly use lose musicians because they, they wanted to be free form in what they wanted to do. And I, I just couldn't have that. It's, it's always interesting. I remember in Chicago, one time I went to audition for, uh, this was before my contract that I ended up having, but I went to audition for several bands, but one that I was, I really liked our synergistic vibe. And uh, this is the mid nineties, the early and mid nineties and Chicago had a lot going on. This And the scene was really great and everyone, you know, you know how scenes are. Everyone kind of knows everyone, but a lot was starting to, had been coming out and starting to come out of Chicago. And I was out there, I was working all the music, I was working live music bars and different kinds and doing my own art as well. I got this gig and then the first practice session, so in the audition, it was so open and free-flowing it was like, so, it was amazing. And he had a four track, so he, he recorded and all this. And it was really great. So at that point, he had everyone nailed in and he just needed a singer. And this is where I came in. It, oh, so you, you, you did vocals as well? Yeah, yeah. Vocals are my thing. Uh, I was unaware of that. Yeah. Well, I, I just don't talk about it or push it anymore much. But I do, I do, I do do that. And so it was great. You know, they liked my look. I was very Morticia at that time. And um, I mean, it is the 90s, right? So early 90s is the time to be Morticia. And um, whom I'd always loved from the early, the original series. And she was so beautiful. Oh, my God. Carolyn Jones, my favorite. Mm. Yeah. And so anyway, so I got it. They liked the look. And then I go to the first practice and it's fine. I stayed, I did everything I needed to do, but one of his guitar players, I think he had two in that, um, got crazy. The next session was fine. Then the third session, and this is where it all blew apart. He said, right as we start, he said, I'm not having any Mavericks. This is my band. This is my gig. This is my situation etc. These are all, you know, he already had his playlist, everything. We were just learning his music. And uh, I was like, Ooh, Lord, (laughs) he was, it was like the very first, we're all just coming in from taking the train. He lived way out in a fucking suburb. It was terrible. And uh, I thought, okay, here we go. And I saw right then that that was going to be because that guitar player started, they started fighting. And I knew that ultimately this lineup third practice was never going to work. So <laughs> I knew right then that it was going to be a headache because, and I was fine just doing his music. Like I was, I was fine on my part and I wasn't going to, you know, uh, overstep, but then he started having the bass. It was like a hot mess. And so that's when I had to say, I'm bowing out because this lineup right now is never going to make it. And they never did. Yeah. He went on to See, do some okay. great stuff, but it, it, it's, it's okay when, when musicians join knowing that in yes, advance. Yes. Uh, and, and that's what I used to have to tell musicians who joined empire hideous. I'm like, look, this is how it is. You know, can you handle that? If not, then, you know, walk because it's not going to be your band. It's mine. I got the yes. same last name as the band. So. Yes. That, and, you know, that's what he said. And I was fine with it. And the question, the question came up, though, ultimately is like, OK, this is all your material. But what about new material? And that's where it all went askew. He's like, it's my band. 
and it's going to be my material right. from the and right. he he said it straight up i there will be no mavericks in this band right in some cases you really have to put that out front and 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 i can respect that i really can i totally respected um, it absolutely and if you're if you're if you're you know adult enough to accept it then great and if not, then you have to move on. It, you know, when I joined up with the Misfits, I knew that it wasn't my band, and I had to. I had you know three bosses uh, ahead of me. Yes. Uh, when I worked for Bronx Casket Company, I knew that it wasn't going to be my project. I was told right up front, even though I begged Dee Dee, please let me write lyrics. I'm a I'm a good lyricist. Yeah. No. Nope. Do it. So. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> but see, do. this is and this is the thing that's always been interesting to me is I respected him. For saying that and the other guys I was the only girl the other guys in fact everything I auditioned for I think I was always the only girl um oh that's so weird that's weird how that just hit me right now uh anyway that but I appreciated that like okay this is this is the line and why why cross it if you can't deal with it then you need to move on other than getting together, getting really tight, doing this music, and then a show comes and someone doesn't, all of a sudden all these issues come out and then you've got to go out and play, right? Come on, this is bullshit. We've heard the story a million times and I appreciate people who have hard boundaries where they say this is it. And what's ironic is I have, um, in my genealogy, there's a a last name Maverick is a last name. It's a real genealogical name, and I come from Maverick. So I always thought that was funny. So with okay, so with that, I wanted to get that straight. It's your band. It's it's you. Hideous Nation was always you. It was you. You go into the Misfits. You're. It's Did not you. Say you. hideous, hideous nation. Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> I'm looking at it. It was a nation. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yes. my God. Em- em- Empire hideous. That's okay. Empire hideous. <laughs> Holy Don't shit. Don't cut that out. I want to hear that in the show. It's going to be there. I love, I actually love hideous nation. By that's, the way. That's a pretty good one too. Oh Some my people God. say it should have been called Hideous Empire. <laughs> I'm like, uh, shut up. It's my band. I don't want any Mavericks telling me what to do. Oh my God. That was so juicy. Okay. So <laughs> this is, I will leave that in for you though. Thank you. <laughs> I will leave that in. I like it. I actually, I never really clean myself up too much. So I wanted to move into, obviously we're going into the last two songs. I love this album. The time has come. And My personal opinion, one of the best albums I've ever released. It's amazing. It's really, it's amazing. The first song that you give us is Pretty Faces. And so we're going to, we're going to enjoy that right now.
That was Pretty Faces from the album The Time Has Come. And I've got to tell you, Mike, this song to me is straight up sexy. It really gets me right in the pussy for real. And I know, I know that like... Damn! <laughs> I just got to get out there and say it. It is so sexy. I'm not sure. When I try to analyze why is it sexy, I I found myself, and I didn't know that I was actually going to come out and say, say everything I just said, but I, I didn't want to take away from the magic by analyzing what it is about this particular song that really just speaks to me on a visceral level like that, it, there's a, uh, I can't get her out of my mind. This whole, the, the lyrics, everything is just so on. I love your vocal delivery throughout this whole song. Um, in, in general, I've already said this, you know, you're a great vocalist, but this, you really just deliver hot sexiness here. And part of it is, uh, your devotion to whomever, the uh, vixen is here. What is the story behind this song? Okay. Uh, when I was 13 years old, I went to a roller rink in uh, New Jersey and to go roller skating. I used to love and doing that when I was young. Yep. Oh my God, so much so, fun. In... Uh, at one point, it was for kids too. It was an afternoon thing. It was for kids. So, um, at one point, they they set this thing up where they put all the boys on one side and all the girls on the other, and they allow the girls to come up and pick a guy, a girl, a boy, and skate with him. So this girl comes up to me, and she chooses me. And I was, as I said, I was thirteen. I was very excited. <laughs> And we roller skate and we're talking and we're hitting it off. And she likes me and I like her. And her name was Deanne. Oh, yes. So in the song, as you may recall, the lyrics say, um, uh, all those pretty faces like yours, Deanne. Yes. And the song is about, and what it comes down to this. Now, now let me get something straight. <laughs> and here's the funny thing about Deanne the song uses her and and the situation of my first love if you will my first crush that it's saying all the other girls that I've gone through at this point I've had a lot of bad luck nothing's worked I'm coming back to you Deanne this is the one I want to be with I'm done with all the other pretty faces Yes. Okay. So that's the basic <laughs> premise of the song. Okay. Here's the funny part. So when we wrote this song, well, when I wrote this song, uh, I was working with a, a friend of mine, Johnny Nickel, who did a masterful job on recording. Uh, we did the whole album together, just him and I, and he did an amazing job. As I said, this is, in my opinion, one of the best albums I've ever written. And I couldn't have done it without Johnny. So at the time, I didn't have Facebook. So this was around 2009, maybe, 10. Couldn't even tell you. So I said to him, he had Facebook, and I didn't. And I said to him, hey, do me a favor. Look this girl up. I said, uh, I know she lives in Jersey. And I said, see if you can find her. So he, found, he finds her. Last, I knew her last name and everything. And I said to her, do me a favor. I said, I don't want her to get the wrong impression. Impression, but 
just write to her and say, hey, I don't know if you know this, but your old boyfriend, if you will, from when you were 13, has written a <laughs> song that is, I think he said about you, but it's really not about her. Right. She was the she was the inspiration for the song. Now the the woman's married with kids. I it's not like I was trying to win her back or anything. Right. But Johnny writes to her and tells her that oh yeah, you know, Mike, you know, real Mike wrote this song and it's about you. Know, she writes back, I don't give a damn. I'm not into Mike anymore. <laughs> that was I was I was 11 years old when that happened. I'm like, "Oh god." I, so she probably thinks I'm some lunatic. You're stalking. But I'm <laughs> right, but that was not the intention whatsoever. I just simply wanted to say, hey, I just want you to know you were an inspiration to write about from when we were kids. That's all. That's it. That, that's pretty much the story. But, the, you know, it, it's, a, it's a song of having – I've had a lot of bad luck with women and you know, some of them I resent. Other ones, they resent me and <laughs> other ones I just, I, I just screwed up. So yeah, uh, it, it was just about coming to the point where you've really – you know, you're, you're done. You're, you're, you're not going to screw around anymore. You're not going to screw things up. And, and I had, I had my fill of all these pretty faces. Yeah. That's pretty much it. Yeah. And you know, that's basically, I mean, that is the song and, but it, and and you saw, you saw the music video that we did for it too, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. So there's a a few scenes in there with the women doing their makeup and, you know, there's a kissing scene in in which I I kiss a girl. And uh, so that was probably the hardest thing was trying to find somebody that would kiss me. And I was like, (laughs) you know, I, I wanted to be a pretty woman that I'm doing this with, but at the same time, it's got to be passionate and it's got to show passion. It, it, that's part of the act. Yes. And, uh, you know, which one was too young, which one was too old, which one was, you know, <laughs> so I, I had to find somebody that would meet me halfway and I knew it was probably gruesome for a lot of women. So I, I, I <laughs> one woman that I ended up kissing, it was somebody that I knew. Yeah. You had told me that and she's fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love the Madame video. X. That's Madame X, isn't it? It's <laughs> a great. Yeah, she's she's. It, I enjoyed the whole video, and that kiss scene was great. Thank you. So, I, by the way, I, I I also want to pay respects to Tiger, Tiger Cohen, who actually uh, filmed, uh, co-directed, and edited and co-produced the entire video with me. So, I want to give my shout out to Tiger for having done the video. Thank well, you. great work, Tiger. Seriously. And so how do, okay, so this all comes about, you're releasing this now. Like, okay, so the album is like, I have 2011. Is that correct? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. <laughs> so with, with what you're doing now, and as we talked, so you had said you'd come out and publicly said no more of, you know, the the hooks pulled me off the curtains closed i'm done but now you're you're doing this again what how do you get from final act i'm just going to focus on painting and other stuff to getting out there again at least in the digital world without going into an extreme amount of detail as i just went through a massive harassment issue um, I was pulled back in 
after being made a bunch of promises uh, to which I thought were going to be fulfilled. And that was why I did this project that I was, will not even mention at this point. Uh, but um, the project I am currently in right now is called Morte di Tone. Morte di Tone. And um, it's me and this guy, Tom Noor, from a band called October Noor who is, uh, we're just, we're doing it as a side project and we're just releasing the music. We're not playing out or anything like that. Um, so there's that. Uh, and the only reason I'm doing that is because I ended up, uh, having a severe problem with, uh, the previous project that I was pulled back into the music industry with and uh, now that I, in hindsight, looking back at everything that's happened, the only thing that I really got out of it was meeting the few people that I, I, I'm now associated with, uh, that being Tom, uh, that being uh, Bewin, uh that being Matt Merkel who, from Roser Guitars, who's actually making uh, a Mike Hideous limited edition Mike Hideous series of guitars using my artwork. So, um, I love that. the few people, yeah, I'm real, I'm real excited about that too. It's an honor to tell you the truth, custom made guitars with uh, my artwork on them. So I'm very excited about that. Um, so yeah, meeting these people was a good thing. Uh, minus one who created all the problems and is out there now, uh, you know, calling me a racist, uh, posting my real name, which doesn't bother me in one bit because Dear. I know I'm not a rate. Yeah. I know I'm not a racist. Uh, People know my last name from the artwork that I release, so whatever. I, I don't care. I just uh, I just want to be left alone. You know, I, I I I'm not associated with that other project, even though he went ahead and and released um, uh, the song that I wrote lyrics to, titled the song, uh, sang for on the song, in addition to having uh, created, designed the logo and came up with the band name went ahead and released that song without my permission. Uh, this, you know, there was this cockamamie contract that was involved uh, that was never notarized. So really it's kind of not really binding. Um, and I, again, without going into too much detail, cause I just don't want to stir up any trouble. Yeah. Um, I just want the person to leave me alone. That, that's all. I, I, I don't want to deal with them anymore. And I, they should, you know, move on and stop, uh, stop using me for their point of revenge or whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, like every day it's something new. It's like, like he can't get enough of me, you know, like get over it, get over me. Yeah. Um, go bother somebody else. You know, I, I, I don't want to be a part of your project and I'm, I'm done. So. Mike, this is one of the things, and as we've been talking here, this is relevant to a lot of stuff we've been talking about. It's the dark side of all of this greatness with the internet and being able to put yourself out there, get your messaging out there, have a radio show, all this stuff that is great. And then it also puts a platform or multiple platforms for people with agendas and that mm-hmm. want to just open slander and say bullshit and cause a lot of harm that includes 
and it's not limited to doxing of your information, your name, your address, phone numbers, all this stuff. And I always tend to attract psychos no matter what in any period of my life. I've always, I've always had them. I'm not talking about casual people that just dig what you're doing, right? We're talking about people that take it to the next level where they need to, if you don't give them what they want or tell them what they want to hear, they go out and they get on the highest internet mountain Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they start slandering you and they feel like they can dox your information and say all this bullshit that is absolutely not true and yet they have this platform and then those of us that deal with this stuff because it's about us, right? This is about you out there. It's like you, what we're confronted with, how do we address this? What kind of damage does this do? I stand for people's freedom of expression and voice. At the same time, slander is slander. Slander is hurtful. Slander and and lies and negativity and bullshit like that is damaging and it's called slander. Mm -hmm. And so that's a line in the sand for me. And I'm sorry to hear this is happening. This is ridiculous. And one of the things with this hyperbolic aspect of the word racist, and and you mentioned this earlier at the very beginning, how all this Mm -hmm. language is losing its real potency because it's been cheapened. Absolutely. What is a racist anymore? I mean, Jesus, is it is it racist if I have a Pringles? Okay. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Jesus Christ, Mike, what the fuck are we going through right now? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Why would eating a Pringles be racist? I don't get it. Well, I'm asking this about everything. Almost everything is being called racist. Unless. Okay. I didn't know if there was like a hidden. No, no, no. There's nothing there. But watch that all of a sudden be something. We'll just now start noticing. I I like Pringles. I love me some Pringles. Um, but you know that my point is that the language is losing its meaning because right. of overuse and being misconstrued and then twisted in turn and we have ourselves in this upside down reality where That's right. we can see how language went crazy for a while anyway. So we have Michael Jackson singing bad, right? I'm bad. Where bad meant good. You're like you're hot, you know, you're Bad lost its actual meaning in that. And I get it and I understand slang, but it lost its meaning. So bad, I could say bad and somebody might think, okay, this is bad. I'm not going to do it, but I could, I know this is so eighties, but, and then I could say, Ooh, that's bad. And what I mean is, Oh, that's sizzling hot. That's great. Bring it. You know, like where the fuck is the continuity with language? We cannot understand each other if we don't understand the language. And if we cheapen it, we thin it out, we overuse it or we misuse it. Where are we in the end? Another very broad question. Uh, well, that's me, baby. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm abroad. <laughs> I, I could go all over the map with that. I mean, um, my question is in general, how do we expect to have any kind of meaningful exchanges? with other people in the world, therefore, hello, connection to other people, if we can't get on the same page with language. If bad to you means bad, like don't take it, it's going to kill you dead, 
And I'm saying bad, damn, you're smoking hot, that's sexy, give it to me, that's bad. And that's what it means to me. Then we are not meeting in the middle there. Hey, listen, go to another country, France, China, even Italy. And when you try or or don't speak their language, watch the look you get. (laughs) I've seen it. I've I've been there. I know, me too. (laughs) Okay. Especially in in places like China, okay, where where they have several, I think they have like three different variations of the language. Yeah. Mandarin Um, is like the main one, but then they're all, yeah. That's right. So you go to China, you don't speak a damn word of Chinese, and you walk up to a local and you try to get something and they don't understand what you're saying because you're in their country. Why the hell would they have to speak English? Right. Even though that is it. So, you know, uh, I could tell you from firsthand experience, I've been to other countries and not speaking their language was an insult to them. But if you're here in America... And someone speaks another language to you other than English, you're at fault and you're the racist because you can't tolerate the fact that they're not speaking your language. I'll tell you, I'll give you a perfect example. A couple of times I've had to call uh, and speak on the phone with tech agents for whether it was computer or, or telephone issues or whatever. And I get someone with a very, very heavy accent. And I got to tell you, Nish, I didn't understand a goddamn word that person was saying. Not a word. Mm-hmm. Right. And I said, look, n- not for nothing. I said, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but I can't understand what you're saying. And he just kept going. And I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> what, what asshole in America would hire a person? No offense to the person. I'm sure they're very nice. But why would you hire a person who cannot fully speak the dialect of English? And put them on answering phone calls. In America, in English. In America. (laughs) Uh, What, just so you can be politically correct and say, look, I gave this person who's from another country a job. Look, I gave him a job because I'm not racist. (laughs) Meanwhile, nobody knows what the fuck they're saying. So my point is simply – you know, there's going to be issues with people. See, again, it goes back to the whole uh, uh, PC liberal thing about this utopia where we need to accept everything and be wonderful, whatever. It's just not going to happen. And there, as I said, racism, racism is everywhere, not just in America, everywhere. Yeah, Every it's really bad in it. other places, in fact. <laughs> it's really bad in other places. And in fact, if this country is so racist, why are there millions of people storming the borders to get in? I know. Can't exactly. be that bad. I know. Can't be that bad. I know. This is what's so ridiculous. It's absurd. And we will deep dive that later. But this is the thing. And it's part of this breakdown is that we're not on the same level. The language, we're not meeting at the center here. And and this is part of where I think things need to be put on pause for a minute and everyone try to get on the same page with language. 
Well, do they even teach it in, in school anymore? No, they don't. What do they- there, there was a point, I remember several years ago, they were, they were actually considering teaching Ebonics. Oh, I, yes, like, I recall. Oh, this is why we have the worst uh, education in this country, because we're not teaching the basics of mathematics or right. algebra. Yeah. We're not te- teaching the basics of handwriting or even English, for that matter, because that would be, you know, well, they don't racist. do cursive anymore. That's for damn sure. Right. Right. And, and you know, as I said, they're not teaching the basics. They're teaching Jane has two mommies. Right. And, you know, that's all teaching, right, you know, though. That's all right. But you've got to get back. You've got to have the basics. See, I, I'm sorry. that There is a point where I, I have a problem with that. And that is what I just learned yesterday is that there there's a – I forget where it was – that there's a teacher who is teaching six-year-olds – about masturbation. Oh yeah. All this stuff I've been hearing, Mike, like that, I can't even, I can't, I can't, it's making my mind swell, my brain swell thinking about that. Mm-hmm. This six-year-olds. Six-year-old masturbation. Child, children, I should say. Yeah. Mm. We, we need to stop. Well, this is at the same time. Okay. That's a different show. Cause I could, I could. It's a different show. Yeah. Let's move on to the next one. Okay, so we have our final song, and here we are. We're finally to my favorite song on the list. <laughs> I love the t- this time song. Has come. The time has come from it's the the name of the album essentially, and right. this song is just amazing. I love it. I love it. I love it. I can't go on about it enough. But I want to know what's the backstory here? What's going on Ooh. with this song? The album is named after this song. This is a song about a dead girlfriend who took her own life. She had a lot of problems. She was very much um, caught up in a world of being spoiled, uh, being getting anything she wanted. She was a beautiful girl. Um, and every guy she dated, you know, just did everything for her because if they didn't, she would stamp her feet and cry. So she had a lot of issues. Um, And when she broke up with me, she broke up with me because of of a very good reason. And uh, I kind of understood, but I didn't listen at the time. So without giving her actual name out, uh, I used the name Cecilia. And um, yes. I wrote about it through that method. Um, And it's just about the song itself for when I wrote it was about how she, she saw what I was going through and couldn't deal with it. Then again, there were a lot of things she couldn't deal with that I was doing because of the age difference. So I just found her to be a person who uh, was interesting to write about. Um, However, uh, again, when you read read the lyrics to the song, you can make it up to be your own song. Uh, you, you can see it in your own way. Um, so I, I tried very much to, uh, even though the, the chorus is, you know, uh, forgive me, Cecilia, uh, it could be anybody, you know. So um, that's really what it came from, a, a girl who I used to date who, who committed suicide. So when, how long after you dated her did she commit suicide? 
I want to say um, eight months, I think. Oh, I can't remember. Pretty yeah. close in there. Yeah. Well, she she had threatened me multiple times. So I'm going to drive my car off a bridge. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to drive my car into a wall. I'm going to slip my wrists. I'm going to OD, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And eventually, I mean, there was a day she called me at work, started arguing with me for no reason. I mean, I did nothing wrong and then told me that she was going to kill herself. So I called her job where she was working. I said, listen, she just told me she wants to kill herself. Can you please be like, watch her, be careful. And I'll, I'll come right down. 10 minutes, 15 minutes later, I get a call from the boss of her job telling me, we know you're the problem. Stay oh away. God. I'm like, what? I'm like, listen, asshole. I just called you to warn you that she wants to drive her car off the bridge and you're telling me to stay away. I said, you know what? You better hope I never show up in that store, you piece of idiot. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, um, very troubled girl. Very troubled girl. So when she killed herself, how did that affect you? Since it had, it was really soon. Good question. Yeah. Very good question. Uh, I was already with another girl. I was dating someone else at the time. And when I did, when I finally separated myself from, we'll call her Cecilia. When I finally separated myself from Cecilia, I did so under the premise that I had to really hate her in order to break away because I was, I was brokenhearted uh, over it for like two or three months, you know, cause this is a girl who begged me for like two and a half years, be my steady boyfriend, be my steady boy. No, 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 no. Be my steady boyfriend over and over and over again. I'll be the best girl you ever dated. And I'm like, you know what? Not for nothing, but I've heard that a hundred times. And I had been recovering from the first, the other girl that had a broken heart from when I was living in that building. Yeah. Which was what heaven, heaven raining bullets was about. So, yes. uh, you know, for five years, I had been, remained single. Cecilia comes into my life and uh, starts telling me she wants me to be her steady boyfriend. And I, I told her no for two and a half years. Finally, I said, all right, look, you, you better promise me you're not going to do what the other girl did. She's like, no, 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 no. I'll be the best. I'll be the best. And of course, you know, I ended up finding out she cheated on me. And um, yeah. uh she she just left because of certain issues that she you know you, you, when you make a promise to someone I'll be there through thick and thin yeah and then thick comes and they hightail it out yes yeah you know and and I was like well you know what you better hope you never get married and take vows because you'll break them within a year if you can't handle things and that's exactly what happened one year almost to the day and she split up with me and I was like, you know, you, you did exactly what you said you wouldn't do to me. Yeah. And uh, I got the shit under the stick. She ended up screwing around with somebody else. That guy caught on to her, realized what, you know, kind of psychological issues she had. She did the same thing to him, oh, man. said, I'm going to drive my car off a bridge, left his place. He calls the cops. They track her down on the highway, pull her over. And say, listen, you know, we were concerned about your health. I'm okay. I'm fine. She goes home, kills herself. Oh, man. Yeah. Man. Pretty sad. So your question was, how how did I feel? Yes. So I I had to separate myself so badly as I just, I I had hatred for her so that I, 
I mean, I, I, you know, I couldn't keep following her and, and, and trying to be her boyfriend. I just couldn't do that. So I had to build up a wall of, of hatred and just like, you know, get out of my life. And then I start seeing this other girl and she had the nerve. She called me up one day. The old girlfriend, Cecilia calls me up one day and says, I hear you're seeing somebody new. I'm like, yeah, you were screwing somebody while you were with me. She's like, who is she? I'll, I'll, I'll kill her. Who is she? I'm like, what are you? What are you stupid? I'm like, no, you, you were screwing around behind my back. Now I'm with another girl who I'm happy with. Go away. And, you know, yeah. like I said, she's got, she had severe psychological issues. But this was what happens uh, when a girl grows up without a father figure. Uh, and the guys that she dates give her every single thing she wants. And that's not how life is supposed to be. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's there's a lot of examples out there. Okay, but you didn't actually answer the question. How did you feel when you heard the news? Oh, right. So when I heard the news uh, with this hatred that I had for her, it didn't affect me right away. It took a couple of months. It took a couple of weeks for me to really feel it. And I'll never forget because my girlfriend who I was with at the time was with me when I got the news from my neighbor. Oh, my. Uh, who knew her? He was a professor. He used to teach at the college and that's where she used to go. So he pulled me out. I was like, I got to tell you something. He tells me, he's like, you know, Cecilia's dead. I'm like, oh, okay. All right. Thanks for telling me. And he's like, he, he pulled me out of the, out of the, my studio with my girlfriend to tell me in private. And when he told me I was numb because I had no feelings for her at that yeah. point. Yeah. It so takes it a, a while for weeks. information to sink in anyway. Right. Especially after you build yourself up to separate yourself from a person so that you don't have any emotional ties anymore. Uh, and then, you know, he hits me up with this and I already had a girlfriend, so I didn't want to see her, have her see me, you know, breaking yeah. down over somebody who, you know, was prior to her. So, um, as I said, I wasn't really affected by it at first. And then at, at a point, like maybe three weeks down the road, when my other girlfriend wasn't with me, I actually felt it and I felt bad. Uh, so there, it was, that was the best way to describe it. I, I kind of felt bad after about three weeks. That's when it hit me. The death news is always something that can, it, it affects everyone differently, but then you had this history and then she was always saying she would and, and didn't. There's always this aspect with people who finally do it. Like the ones that continue to say, I'm going to do myself in whatever means. And then they never do. And then when they finally do, it's that crying wolf thing. It's like, right. Whoa. So if you don't mind, I know this might be a little bit sleazy, but how did she kill herself? (sighs) She, um, from what I understood, she snorted heroin and put a bag over her head and suffocated herself. Oh, my goodness. You know, though, that sounds like, like, if you think about it, if you were going to do yourself in, that's almost a friendly way to go. Yeah, I, I couldn't do it, but yeah, I suppose so. Well, I, I can't kill myself, so. Uh, yeah, just, neither can I. <laughs> so I'm too much of a pussy. <laughs> I know, for um, real. This is the thing. They always say people are weak that kill themselves. No, no, ah, no, no, no. You got to be really brave to do that. And I, I want to make one more comment about those uh, who are uh, have killed themselves uh, or even thinking about doing it. I Sometimes I hear commercials about how people 
are saying like there's a out here in Pennsylvania, there's a, there's a, a commercial that I hear sometimes on the radio where a guy says uh, he, he was in the service and uh, he commanded a bunch of people and he lost X amount to opiates and he lost another X amount to suicide. And then at the end of the commercial, he says, it's okay to ask for help. It's not okay to kill yourself. And that's where I draw the line because ultimately you make your own decision. And if that's what you want to do, then so be it. I don't believe that suicide is a sin. I don't believe that suicide is the easy way out. I believe it is a choice. Um, and I believe that it is highly misinterpreted. Uh, people have been killing themselves for as far back as history began. Um, and it is their, it's their choice. And I don't, I don't encourage it. I don't, I don't support it. But at the same time, I don't condemn it. Just like I don't support or condemn drug use. Right. I 100% agree. I fortunately wasn't raised in any religion. And so I didn't have to deal with it's a sin. I came into that later. And I always thought that was interesting. Now, when I came, I had some very, very hard luck stories in my early life and we all have them. So, you know, I I never like to, here's my scar. Here's my scar. There were times I thought about to get out of bad situations. You know, I had a a terrible daddy who was really trigger happy with his belt. (laughs) You know, I had, you know, there were just bad, bad things going on. And for me, it was the way out of bad circumstances. And the thing that stopped me every time was I loved myself too much to do it. And it wasn't a fear. I was obviously able to process the idea of dying and doing it by myself. And I thought I tried to do it in some hard ways. Like I had a machete, my mom's machete at my throat one time looking in. in oh my, a oh my God. Glass. I know. And in my That's head. crazy. I know. Isn't this terrible? I was like, I think wow. 11 or 12. And I just was telling myself, it's just a fast. If I just do it fast. Uh, you know, I remember trying to tell myself to do this, to get out of this bad situation. And I never could. And so, but I have mm. been to that precipice. I understand the precipice. I was never strong enough to do it. And I I like to use that. Yeah, it takes strength. And for anyone, you know, just the basics here, though, for anyone that is depressed or is in that state where that's an option for them, this is uh, this is your choice. And I, you know, some people want to be talked down. Some people a lot of people that kill themselves, though, ironically, never talk about it. They just do it. You know, I'm all for the choice thing. You have this gift of consciousness and do with it as you will. I'm not going to judge you unless you go and start taking, killing people and doing bad things. I'm going to have some judgment. But as far as just normal people and people that just want out for whatever reasons, that's your prerogative. That's your choice. It's your life. Look look at if if you had a, a terminal disease. Yes. They want to keep you alive. They want to stick hoses in you and tubes and yeah. needles and, yeah. and medicine. 
and they want to just keep you alive. Do, do, do you know what a, a, a harlequin baby is? I don't know if I do, Mike. Pretty sure I'm saying it right. It's a, a child, a baby that is born as if they had no skin. They're all red. Sometimes their eyes are bulged Oh, out. I do. Yes. Oh ha- my God. Harlequin babies. Yes. Okay. I could tell you right now, if my mother had me and I was a harlequin baby, I would want to be put, I would want to be put to death. Do not let me live my life in that horrible condition. Yeah, that's what, a what, rough what, one. What, what, what could I possibly have to look forward to? There's a woman who has a child like that. She has to put an ointment on its skin like every three hours. Yeah, yeah. She, I mean, if the child bumps into something, it could bleed to death. I mean, yeah. all these things. Why? I mean, I know, I know that the, the whole Christian thing would be, well, you know, everybody has the right to live. I get it. I'm not stupid. But if it's a, a child that comes out like this, do you think that they kept, tried to keep, keep these children alive 10,000 years ago? No. Oh, God, no. You see it in cats and animals all over, but cats are a great example. Let me just stop you right there. Hold on. You just brought up a perfect scenario. Here's the problem with people. People, people seem, seem to believe, believe that, that they, they are, are above everything, everything else and that we need to survive and we're, we're better than animals. No. <laughs> animals themselves, they have a, a, a litter or, or a clutch that is, you know, one of them is bad. Yeah. They'll either eat it or, or discard it. Discard and here's it my, often. Here is my positive thinking to that very thought. As an infant, as a child, even as a fetus or an embryo, yeah. you are not going to know the difference between life and death at that young age. It's when we get older and we learn about life where dying becomes more of an issue. You don't want to die. You want to keep living. But as a baby, as and again, this is where I'm pro-choice, you make the decision for an embryo, not a third trimester, a baby, yes. and you want to get an abortion, that infant, that embryo, that, that, that group of cells is not going to know what life is about, not having come out of the womb, whereas we who are living, breathing humans, walking the earth, know the difference. Yes. So th- that's how I see things. We are no different than a cat or a lion, or an elephant, or a a, a platypus. We are all part of the same thing. We are all animals. And just because we've got computers and planes and uh, ocean liners and fly to the moon and so on and so forth, doesn't change that we are still animals. We are violent creatures. We have taken over the earth like a, like a, a plague of fleas. Yes. And when our, yeah. when our time is done, the earth is just going to shake us off and yes. the next species is going to come around. So we kind of toot our horn a little bit too loud when it comes to suicide and taking your own life. I completely agree with you. And it's very interesting. You know, in Oregon, people come here, they can, they have a pit death pill. You can just take it and for, I am not sure because I've not read up on it. And so this is just, this is hearsay at this point, I suppose. 
Um, but I believe you can do it if you're just severely depressed. You can go to Oregon and take the pill. I know that it was, or I think from what I've heard just from local news stories, that it you know it was geared more towards people who had um, cancer or you know right. life threatening illnesses that their the prognosis right. was not very good or they just didn't want to go through those therapies. Uh, and they could come here and have control over that. But I believe it extends to severe depression as well. I am with you on everything you just said. It's a very controversial subject. And a lot of people would condemn me as being a heartless bastard for saying that. But I'm sorry. I see things logically. Yeah. And in logic, emotion does not play a part. Right. Okay. So when you make a decision based on logic, you do it for the greater good or for the greater good of yourself so that either others can survive or that things can carry on. But I could tell you right now, if I, as I said, if I were born a Harlequin baby, I would have want my mother to take me by the leg and smash my head up against a radiator. Yeah. I, I feel because the same way. It's why, why put yourself through People are cruel. living People are cruel. an agonizing world in pain where people are going to look at you funny and don't say they won't because they will. Oh, they, of course, people, people are, are cruel. cruel. Not only that, even if you're not cruel, you're going to look at that child. It's a curiosity. I mean, yes. At a curiosity. What's the first thing that happens when, when you drive past an accident where somebody has been decapitated? <laughs> yes. You fucking look. Yes. Okay. So it's not that I'm going to look at this Harlequin baby and go, Ew, which I probably will. But the fact is, that doesn't mean I, I hate that child. I feel sorry for it. I have, I have this feeling of, Oh my God, this thing is in misery. Why stay alive? Yeah. And as far as people, Wanting to kill themselves with a pill, again, I think it's your choice. Yes. Your choice. 100%. And, you know, people that get to that point are going to do it no matter what. So it is, it's, you know, it's a good thing. And then, and then what does hindsight do? Nothing. (laughs) I know exactly. Oh, well, he was, he was showing telltale signs. (laughs) Well, did you do anything about it? (laughs) Yes, we did. We went to church together. We prayed together. We kept an eye on 24 hours. Well, maybe the guy wanted to die. Or whoever the person yeah. wanted to die. So, yeah. what good are they? What good are you babysitting this person who is an adult? What's the importance of having one more person alive in the world that doesn't want to be alive? In the death process, it's always the living, and we do things to process it. So there are funeral rites and all this, so we can process what's gone on and. Ultimately, we have to look at that in ourselves because in the end, we're all going towards uh, the same kind of scenario where we're going to pass out of this, right, out of this realm and into whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And so there may be a billion trillion choices you can make up to that point, but you will get to that point. That's right. Everyone gets to that point. And so one of the things that I like to remind myself of to stay centered, Mike, is I do look at the natural world. I look at the animal kingdom. I look at cycles of trees and plants and flowers. And that's what has always informed me on these esoteric, deeper levels of uh, my existence in this whole process. Because in the end, none of us are actually special. And that's that's part of the problem with today's political uh, 
realm. In the end, we're all just part of this process and it's great. Some are shiny, some come up and shine more, some never get their due. Everyone's got a process and a story, but ultimately we don't remember now anyone from the the distant past except for maybe the kings and the queens that got etched into stone walls and you know the pharaohs and we don't know and of course they're all racist you know oh of course of course but you know like the mike hideous in egyptian times who's just a performer right (laughs) performing for the pharaoh nobody wrote down that person and so in the end we have to come to terms with this is where we lay the ego down. The ego's a great, wonderful thing, and it serves a great purpose. It gets out of control and inflated and, and gross yep. and hard to deal with. But in the end, you need your ego. Your ego keeps you here. And one of the things in looking at crossing over, and you have battled, you have had to look at your personal death several times. And we mm-hmm. know, you know, this is stuff you've written about, you talk about. At the end, we do have to come to terms with in the annals of time, we kind of don't matter. That's right. Do you know that in Roman times, when the Roman generals would lead their armies back into the city of Rome and everybody, it was like a parade and everybody was tossing flowers at them and everything. And uh, the ladies were throwing themselves at the soldiers as the general rode in the front um, chariot, there was a slave. Oh my God. <laughs> and the slave was there for one purpose next to the general. And he would whisper in his ear, momento morte, which yes. meant remember you must die. Yes. Meaning that all this glory that you're getting right now doesn't change the fact that you are still human and you're going to die. Yes. And it's the great equalizer. That's right. So with that, I think we're going to come to the end of this amazing session with you. And, uh, you know, really, truly, the time has come. (laughs) That's the song we're going to go out on from one of my favorite songs. I love it so much. It's my favorite in this in this lineup, as I said, it's from the album. The time has come. Mike, this has been an incredible deep dive with you. If you could just, before we get to this song and all this will be in the show notes, but how do people find your art and work and you in the world? Um, thank you. Uh, I, I would like to say thank you to you, Nish, and, and uh, for everyone listening to this show, be it podcast, I, I would assume. Thank you very much. I had a great time as usual. If you're interested in any of my music, you can check out my website, which is MikeHideous.com. That's M-Y-K-E, Hideous.com. If you're interested in any of my artwork or paintings, or I should say paintings, drawings, photography, whatever, you can check out my artwork at SpyManPhotoAndArt. SpyManPhotoAndArt. Com. And lastly, if you'd like to check me out on social media, uh, you can sometimes catch me once a week, maybe on Facebook, which is uh, Hideous Mike. So it's Facebook.com slash Hideous Mike, M-Y-K-E. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Nish, for having me. I had a wonderful time.
And also, we should add that you co-host the show with Michael Deacon. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Our yes, friend. Uh, yes. Every once in a while, Michael Deacon from The Michael Deacon Program on YouTube will have me on as his co-host. Uh, we cover a lot of different subjects, a lot of them po- political, but we also do stuff on the occult and religion and uh, various things here and there. So if you're interested, look up The Michael Deacon Program on YouTube and uh, you can follow him on that. I'm not on all the time. Like he does shows on his own as well. But every once in a while, I'm on with, with Michael as his co-host, which I'm very grateful to be. Yes. And I, I love those shows. You two are great together. So Thank with you. that, we will play and end on the song, The Time Has Come, from the title song from the album, The Time Has Come. Right on. <laughs> 